0: Good to see everybody today. I'm John Paul. I found my razor. It still works. So, if you didn't recognize me. The, uh, so, Pastor Brian, there was a time I'd, I had a beard on my face and Pastor Brian did not. Now, Pastor Brian has a beard on his face and I don't. And I know this is confusing to, to some of you. So, here's, your, here's, here's, the, here's how you remember. Pastor Brian, with a B, beard. Okay. Pastor JP, just... Just plain J- JP or something like that. But Brian Beard for now. Erica comes home tonight, so she's been gone for five weeks. So we'll see. We'll see how long this lasts. Okay. Um, have you ever Have you ever signed up for something, and uh, you didn't You didn't You got a little bit more than you bargained. You sign up for one thing, and it's sort of You know, you sign up for an occasional email from from a company that will give you You know. Every now and then, a sale or something, and then every two hours, you know, there's just the spam's coming in. Or you uh, volunteer, as I did one time, I, I may have told you this story before, but one time I, I signed up for my son's flag football league. They were looking for uh, parent volunteers, and I said, Look, I can be an assistant coach. I'm not going to head coach. I've head coached in this league before, it was good fun, but I know my schedule, I know I'm going to be the assistant coach. So I show up for the coach meeting, all the coaches and assistant coaches and I get the, ro- the team rosters, and there's no head coach listed on the team, just an assistant coach. <laughs> and I told them, I said, hey, I, I only signed up to be an assistant coach. They said, yeah, that's great. I said, well, there's no, there's no head coach. And they're like, well, you can still be the assistant coach. <laughs> and it's like, well, then, but I don't, but then I don't have an assistant coach. Anyway, so it was all just, uh, you may have signed up in whatever parent-teacher organizations and things that uh, uh, these things happen. So, oh, our parish leaders were great. So, you know, we said, hey, you know, we're, we're kind of thinking about our church and the places that we live and we're kind of spread out geographically. You know, you would be willing to coordinate some things for your, you know, the parish, the, the geographic area where you live. They said, well, well, hang on, what are you asking me to do? You know, how many hours a week is this going to take? Oh, it's going to. we just need to do this, this, and this. Well, what do you mean by that? And they, I mean, they've, in their experience, we knew they were good leaders because they, they knew right away to say, I'm not going to say yes to this thing until you tell me exactly what I'm saying yes to. Um, now, think about this in terms of our faith. Jesus, uh, by his grace, thanks be to God that Jesus lays it out for his followers. As soon as they realize who he is and what he is to do, he lays out to them, actually, you know what, this is exactly what it means to follow me. And it's pretty intense. And he lays it all out up front. We, we're the ones, you know, some of us as Christians, we might soft sell it to people. We, we talk a lot about the, the joy. We talk about the peace. We talk about the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. The, the love that we've received and, and the love that we have to give. These are, and these are true and wonderful things. Uh, but Jesus said, anyone who wants to be my disciple must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me, And that's, that's the standard. That's what he's setting up. And I want to explore that today. Look, there's a lot of different people in this room today. Some of you here are just considering faith in Jesus or maybe just checking out church. And if that's you, uh, this, is, this is good that Jesus is laying it out on the table before you accept it or before you reject it, that you know exactly what Jesus is calling us to as his followers. And I pray that today you would hear his voice and understand what he says. Uh, others are, are here and, and you're very favorable to Jesus. You would claim faith in Jesus, professing faith. Uh, but maybe you've never truly felt the weight of what Jesus says here. The radical call to follow him. And I pray that today you might know that deeper. When, when Jesus when his disciples say, you are the Messiah of God, and what it means to follow that Messiah, uh, there's weight to that. And I pray that you might feel the weight of that. I think that's a good thing. Uh, and then there's those today who say, yeah, you know, actually, I've, I've felt that weight. I've experienced it. I, I have put my faith in Jesus to follow him as his disciple. And you come back to this passage, and you see this word daily, that whoever comes after me must pick up his cross Deny himself, pick up his cross daily, and follow me. And it stops you right in your tracks to say, wait a minute, that where, where am I today? Because this is a daily thing. Where, where, how I live today, tomorrow, and every day is in light of this radical calling. And, and we can uh, sort of miss it or, or let go of it in a way. And I just pray that today we be regrounded in this. So this is for all of us. And I want to pray as we approach God's word. Let's pray. Father God, you are, uh, you are good and gracious to us. You've called us to be your people, to, to know you. And I just pray for everyone in this room. I, I believe, Lord, that you have a good purpose for us being here. And I pray that we would have your wisdom, that we would understand the words of Jesus, and that my, we might respond with hearts of faith today. We pray that you be gentle with us. We pray that you be gracious with us, but you are a gracious and gentle and loving God. But you are all, all powerful, and you are in control of everything that's happening. So we, we acknowledge that as we, as we approach you today, and we approach your word. So we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, four, four things relative to this, um, this call of Jesus in light of the fact that Jesus is God's Messiah. One is the revelation of Jesus as Messiah. Second is the redefinition of Messiah in Jesus. The third is the response to Jesus as Messiah. And the fourth is the recalculating that happens with Jesus as Messiah. So the revelation, redefinition, response, and recalculating. We'll just go one at a time. The first is the revelation. Jesus says in verse 18, Who do the crowds say I am? and his disciples replied some say John the Baptist others say Elijah and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life but what about you he asked who do you say i am and peter answered god's messiah here the disciples peter in particular recognize who jesus really is and confesses you are the messiah now this word, Messiah, if you're going to learn any Bible words, this is a good place to start. The word Messiah is a Hebrew word. It's the same word as the Greek word Christ. So when we say Christ or Messiah, it's the same exact word. Both words mean uh, anointed, to anoint, or literally literally to smear, like smearing oil on something. So the, the Messiah was the anointed one, the one who was to come, the anointed Now, in the Old Testament, there was anointed prophets, anointed priests, anointed kings. But there was this expectation and this promise from God that there would be one, the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ, who was to come and to rule and to reign in the world, to, to save the whole world, to rescue God's people. And so this is a pretty big deal, To be named the Messiah because it's a world of great expectancy of this. There was a great longing that the Messiah would come. How did Peter know that Jesus was the Messiah? Because Jesus never said, I am the Messiah. He said, Who do you say I am? And Peter came to it on his own. Well, Peter saw Jesus, he walked with him. He saw the miracles, the healing, the casting out of demons. He saw how Jesus had control over nature, Jesus had just calmed a storm. Uh, he had heard Jesus' teaching. He had, seen, he had seen a dead man risen to life at this point. And Peter sees it all and he says, I know that you are the anointed one. You are the Messiah of God. If God takes on human flesh and starts walking around, it's not just to blend in. If You're walking around with the God of the universe. It becomes clear at a certain point and you can confess that. But what about for us? Because we don't get to see those miracles. We don't get to see Jesus walking around. How can we have faith? I suppose in some ways we get glimpses of it. Perhaps you know a person of faith whose life has been changed. Or you've seen something miraculous that you know that God is at work. Or you've, just, you've experienced something of God's people where it's pointing to his reality and who Jesus said he was. Some people just believe on the basis of the the historical evidence that these things happened. But we also need to remember that not everybody who saw Jesus believed. There was people who saw Jesus do miracles, and they said, This this person's evil. He has some kind of... In the the name of some demon, he's casting out demons, but he's not good. So not even even if we had been there, we might have believed. When, When Peter makes this confession, as it's recorded in the Gospel of Matthew... Jesus said this, he said, this was revealed to you when he says, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah. Jesus said, Peter, this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. That the God of the universe gives us the eyes of faith to see Jesus as he really is. And it's going to look different for us than it did for Peter, but there's that moment of, of faith and reality to see that Jesus wasn't just a man, that he wasn't just a prophet, that he was the Messiah, God in the flesh. I pray that God would reveal that to you, that you would have that moment, or that you would pray, Lord, show me, that you would understand who Jesus is. That's why we start our Alpha course. uh, The very first week is, Who was Jesus? How we answer that question is going to totally shape the rest of, of life and how we orient life. Because our faith is about a person. Our faith is not primarily about a creed. It's not about, what I believe, but it's about who I believe. One of the early Christians, the Apostle Paul, he was writing to a young pastor named Timothy, and he he's talking about his sufferings. And he says, this is is why I'm suffering as I am. And he says, yet I'm not ashamed because I know whom I have believed. That it wasn't, I'm not ashamed because I know what I believe. It's I know who. You know that it's the one who holds all the world, the one who gives life. Is Jesus the Messiah? And that's the revelation. Jesus is the Messiah of God. Secondly, though, then we get a redefinition of Messiah. This is, uh, well, just look at verse 21. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell anyone. Why not? They found out who he was. He was the Messiah. Peter said, you're the Messiah. And Jesus said, don't tell anybody. Why? It's because Jesus had to teach them first what it meant to be the Messiah. What the Messiah had come to do. And and it did not, he had to redefine it because it didn't fit what they thought the Messiah was supposed to do. So lesson number one in what is the Messiah supposed to do, he gives them in verse 22. He says, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Jesus' followers, there was the disciples, and then there was the crowds of people. They were looking for a Messiah. They were hoping for a Messiah. But a Messiah that dies and suffers is not, didn't really fit their categories. They were looking for something else. What were they looking for? And in a lot of ways, they were looking for the same thing people today are looking for. Uh, it, there was two main camps or two main groups of expectations of the Messiah. The first group were those who felt that uh, what the world really needed was moral reform. That the main problem was the moral decay of society, uh, which leads to all sorts of problems. And we, they wanted a Messiah who would come and bring good moral teaching. And then if we could, if the world could just follow this good moral teaching, then we would experience God's blessing and we would experience God's favor and prosperity through this excellent way of life. And those who are immoral and those who are lazy will be punished by God. So you experience all the blessings and prosperity and then others will be, um, will be punished. The problem is the death of a Messiah doesn't fit that paradigm. If I think that the Messiah is going to live a certain way and God's blessing will be known, if the Messiah dies, it kind of ruins that, it ruins that framework. On the other end of the spectrum were those who they felt the biggest problem in the world was injustice. And that the Messiah would come and bring social justice. That the Messiah would be a liberator. And these are people living under Roman rule. And they felt that the biggest problem was the powerful, particularly Rome, it was the powerful people who were oppressing the marginalized. And they were perpetuating injustice. And the Messiah needs to be strong to come and to judge and to conquer this, this unjust power so that he could administer justice. But no one who is captured and convicted and killed can do that. A suffering Messiah can't overthrow Rome and, and, and administer justice. So, in um, in. The interesting thing is that Jesus was a great moral teacher and he did come to usher in a kingdom of liberation and of justice. But his primary ministry was to die. Jesus said, I have come to give my life as a ransom for many. That he was exchanging his life for the lives of others. You see, the the mistake that we make... The mistake that I make when, I, when we see Jesus primarily as someone who is to come to just bring in great moral teaching, that if we can just follow the teaching of Jesus, then God will bless us, is that we assume that if Jesus teaches something, I can actually obey. That I'm actually good enough and strong enough to obey, and other people aren't. And what that uh, denies is the fact that we, can, we cannot fully obey Everything Jesus taught perfectly. That we fall short, that all have sinned and fall short of God's standard, of God's glory. On the other end of the spectrum, if, if we basically see Jesus as a liberationist, as, as one bringing social justice, the, the, the false notion there is that um, injustice and oppressors are out there. They're the powerful people out there. That injustice is other. It's not something that's in here. Yet the reality is that we have all, because of sin, we have all contributed to injustice. We all harbor these things personally. That we've all fallen short of being perfectly just and, and treating everyone with equality. So whatever, whatever uh, the expectation was on either side, um, that true faith comes when we see our own sinfulness and brokenness, that I can't administer justice perfectly, that I can't uh, follow and obey perfectly, that I am ruined by sin and I am needy. I need a savior. My first realization when I need a savior then I understand Jesus as Messiah because he said I'm coming to die. And it's in his dying that we are saved. We, We then must turn or repent. We turn from our expectations. We turn from our own Ways of being righteous, and we receive His grace. And that grace is only given because He died in our place as our ransom on the cross. That's at the heart of, of what Jesus came to do. And as we confess our sin, we receive His grace, we receive His forgiveness. It's, it's, not, it's not a moral code, it's not a social system. It's about seeing the necessity of the death and the resurrection of the Messiah of God. And when we see it, and when we realize it, and we put our faith in it, you know, it's not just our example, but it's Jesus as our substitute, as our Savior. That's, that's the heart of this. And we have to be able to humble ourselves and admit that we don't just need a teacher, we don't just need the liberationists, we need Jesus. And that was the, that was the redefinition of what the Messiah was to do and how. how okay, so we have um, his revelation as Messiah, his redefinition of what the Messiah is to do. Thirdly, our response to him. How do we associate with this type of a Messiah? Verse 23. Jesus said to them, he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. What does that mean? Uh, there's three parts of this response. The first part, the first part of the response is to de- deny self. Now, denying self is not self-denial. Self-denial meaning I'm just going to give up luxuries or I'm going to avoid certain things. You know, Self-denial sometimes more synonymous with um, self-control or willpower. Denying self is not that. It's something much deeper. Literally, it's saying no to yourself and saying yes to God. That at the center of my reality, there's either me, or at the center of my reality, there is God. And self-denial says, it's not me, it's God. It's not my will, but God's will. And even the most mature of a Christian will consider the idea of denying self and just see how far we have to go. Because we're just naturally inclined to ourselves to think about ourselves, to consider our own needs first. As we deny ourselves, we shift from people who primarily think about ourselves, and then we occasionally think of others as their needs are presented to us, as we're confronted with the need of another, and we may serve or, or fill someone else's need. The switch here, as, as we deny self, is that we primarily look at others and look to, to serve and to love others, And then we occasionally consider our own needs as they present themselves. It's it's a radical reversal. God's will, not my will. Denying the self. The second part of the response is about taking up the cross. The cross is an image of death. The The cross was an instrument of execution. And we wear crosses and we hang them on walls. But they're really horrific things. Taking up your cross is not just about being sad or disappointed, or having a loss, or being sick, or being poor. A, death, a, a cross is about death. It's about persecution. It's about self-sacrifice. It's about true suffering. And taking up a cross is a deliberate action. He's saying, if you want to follow me, you need to take up your cross. Jesus willingly went to the cross. He willingly gave up his life. And he's saying, now that's the pattern. You're going to pick up your cross. It's about willingly entering a battle between good and evil. It's about willingly taking on the burdens of others. It's about willingly putting ourselves in the service of Jesus wherever he calls us. That's taking up a cross. Um, now, it's not about seeking suffering. It's not about trying to put yourself in a place where you will become injured or arrested or somehow... Uh, persecuted or killed for your faith. But don't miss what Jesus is saying here. He's not tricking anyone to following him and trying to make it sound so easy. He's calling us to a radical way of dying daily. The third part of the response is about following me. So it's deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me following Jesus' way, obedient to Jesus' teaching, loving as Jesus loved. And that's a very costly and sacrificial love, as we understand. Jesus loved uh, even to death on the cross, and we are now called to love with the same sacrificial love. This is huge. So now then, how do we apply this? How do you then leave this place and say, okay, uh, if I want to follow Jesus, I'm going to deny myself, take up my cross, and follow him. And it's impossible for me to, to name it for you illustrate it for you. I was talking with Pastor Brian this week. I'm like, how do we describe this for people? Because I could name something. For example, I could say, you know, you could go out of your way and make food for somebody who's hungry or sick. You say, yeah, but like, picking up your cross? I mean, just doing something nice, is that picking up my cross? Like, well, it could be. I could say something like, well, you know, picking up your cross means you know, maybe you become a missionary in, in a country that's opposed to the gospel and you go to, you know, you go to China and you start preaching and you spend half your life in a Chinese prison. Is that picking up my cross? Well, maybe. If that's what God has called you to. But for, for many people, it just seems too far and just too, too much out there. And for each of us, it's very personal It could include simple acts of kindness. It could include extreme acts of faith. But it's all about faith and trusting where God has called you in your everyday. And your cross is going to look different than my cross and look different than somebody else. But what's at the center? Are you at the center or is Jesus at the center? That's the important thing. And our response is denying self, taking up the cross, following Jesus. Lastly, there then comes a recalculation. As we follow Jesus. We see this in verse 24. Jesus says, Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Here's the beauty of this whole thing. When when we understand what Jesus has said, again, he's not hiding anything here. Our default position is to think that we have life, and if I, you know, I'm going to lose life, I'm going to give up life if I put my faith in Jesus, which is true. We forfeit our will to His, but He created you. As we confessed at the beginning of our service, he, He's the creator and the giver of life. He knows what true life is more than you do, and as you put your uh, your, yourself and your will aside, and you put him and his desire at the center of your life, you are now living a life that is more in line with what he intended, what he designed, what he created for you. And he loves you, and he cares for you to guide you into those good places so that we gain everything as we give that up. We, could, we can pursue and accumulate and accomplish all kinds of things in life, but at what cost and Jesus said, as you do those things and you can get ahead and you can beat out your neighbors and other people and your coworkers, that's great, but you're going to lose your entire life. And you put me in the center and you give all that up, you're going to gain everything. And then there's this beautiful, we're part of what he's doing and part of the future glory. And there's a future glory in all this. Regardless of the suffering of today. Look at verse 26. Jesus says, "Whoever's ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of, of them when he, when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. He's, look, we don't have to be ashamed. There's a future glory, a kingdom that will be fulfilled, and we will participate in that, and we will be there. So we don't need to be ashamed. Now, again, the, the, those who read these words, those who read the Gospel of Luke, uh, lived in a time where Christians, when they were not ashamed to speak of Christ, when they confessed their faith in Christ, could there were seasons where they could be severely persecuted or killed for their faith. So when they were not ashamed, they could be put to death. Now, we live in a place that's much safer today, but every generation has ridicule and shame and a cost of following Jesus. And again, it may look different historically than it has, but Following Jesus can bring shame, but on the other side is this glory in his goodness that we experience today and we will experience in all of its fullness. Again, the Apostle Paul put it this way He said, Our light, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. That's the recalculation. That we lose life, but we gain everything. And that's it. And how do we apply this? You'll notice, jump all the way back to verse 18. This all happens when Jesus was praying with his disciples. It was coming out of a context of prayer that Jesus revealed these things. And I think for us, I think it's through prayer that we'll understand what God is calling us to. What this will look like for you tomorrow. what, What this will look like for you as you leave this place. So let us pray together to that end. And I'm just gonna guide in a prayer and you can just kinda of pray these words. <clears throat> Say, Father God, we thank you for your word, and we do I, I do believe Jesus is the Messiah, your anointed one. That, that Jesus died that he came to to give his life as a ransom. And Father, I put my faith in that. I receive that, that you have bought me, that I am yours, Lord, as I am called now to follow Jesus. Father, I, I, I pray that you show me what that means, to deny myself, to take up my cross, to follow you. Father, what does that mean? Father God, show me where I have not denied myself, where I've let selfishness and self-righteousness and just allowed myself to be the center of my own life. Show me where I have not chosen the way of the cross. Lord, reveal that to me. And Father, as things come to mind, I, I praise you that your grace is sufficient. And I receive your grace again to forgive me of these things. That I have not loved perfectly, that I have, I have not cared for others the way that you've called me to, Lord. And, but your grace is sufficient and I, I rest in your grace that restores me that gives me a complete forgiveness and new life, that I stand before you justified because of what Jesus has done. And Father, I pray that we would be people who understand the blessing of life in you. Hear the words of Jesus. He said, blessed are you when people hate you. When they exclude you and insult you and reject you, and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man, rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. Father, help us to embrace the reality of your kingdom. We praise you and we thank you for your love. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.